You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast. This is episode 38. Today, we are talking with our friend, Taylor from New Hampshire. She has had two VBACs, and we cannot wait to hear her stories. But before we get into that, let's check out the review of the week. This review is from Rich1KM. And she says, I absolutely have loved what I've heard so far and can't wait to hear more. I had two C-sections with my daughters, and my doctor told me that I may have heard it was possible for a woman who had previously had a C-section to be able to deliver vaginally the second time around, but that didn't apply to me. He said I would be having a C-section. I am so sad I didn't know that I truly had options and CPD, or small pelvis, was really so rare. We're done having children, but I'll for sure be sharing this with my friends. Even though I'm no longer having children, I will continue to listen to future episodes. Guys, I just want you to know that reviews like that make our day. And that's what keeps us going. It helps keep us bringing you the best content and the best VBAC information and as Taylor can attest today, the best VBAC guests. We are so excited to have Taylor <laughs> here with us today. But before you listen any further, can you do me a favor? Pause this episode right now and go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever service you're listening on and drop us a five-star rating and leave us a few sentences for a review. That would just make our day. And who knows, maybe you'll be featured as a review of the week next time. Definitely those reviews mean the world to us. And we really do read every single one of them, whether it's on the iTunes or Facebook or Google, you name it, we are reading them. So thank you so much for that review. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. So before we turn the time over to our wonderful guest, I wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about choosing a care provider. We talk about it a lot in this podcast because it really does make a difference. So today I wanted to give you three questions that you can ask your provider to see if they are 100% supportive in your VBAC choices. So number one would be, what are the potential long-term and short-term risks of having a repeat cesarean for myself and my baby? So something that we are hearing is happening a lot is doctors are talking all about the risk for VBAC. And they're not really talking about the cesarean risk. So asking a provider what their stance is on on the long-term and short-term risk of having a cesarean is going to kind of help you know where they stand in the cesarean world. All right, number two, if you have a repeat cesarean, how will this impact future pregnancies and births? So if you have heard our podcast in the past or read our blog, you may have heard the term, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. 
knowing where your doctor stands on future like VBACs and future births after cesarean is going to be awesome and help you decide on what type of birth you are wanting. Another good question is, what are your provider's policies as well as the hospital policies surrounding VBAC? This is going to help you know if they are standing together or if your provider and your hospital standards are different. So asking your provider what their hospital policy is and his policy or her policy and how they coincide. Now, we would love to turn the time over to Taylor. We are so excited to hear her stories. And Taylor, go ahead and let's hear what you got. Yeah, thank you both so much for having me. I'm so excited just about what you all are putting into the world as it, you know, also become my personal mission to help people, you know, access the VBAC support that they need. So I guess I'll start with kind of, you know, start all the way back eight and a half years ago with my first child's birth. I kind of went into pregnancy not really knowing much about it at all. And I was, you know, among the first of my friends to get pregnant and have a baby. But I did know that I hoped to have kind of like a, you know, an unmedicated birth if I could do it. And that was my plan. And I hired a doula and kind of all ready to go. And then, you know, as I got later and later into my pregnancy, 32 weeks, 34 weeks, 36 weeks, the baby, he was breached and he just wasn't turning. So that was hard, a hard pill for me to swallow. You know, I tried to get some ideas from my doula to help me and she gave me some thoughts and I did a bunch of spinning baby stuff and tried to get him to turn. And I never did actually go ahead and have aversion or try aversion something. It's just something about it felt really scary to me. And for whatever reason, I ultimately decided not to do that. I also think I was going in, you know, they were saying my fluid might be a little bit low for aversion to be successful. And so I didn't do that. But I tried everything else and he just never turned. So ultimately, I scheduled a cesarean for around, it was after I would be 40 weeks. I kind of held strong to that and I didn't want to schedule it sooner because I was at least hoping that my son would decide when he was ready to be born. So I went into labor. Actually, my water broke when I was about 38 weeks pregnant with him and we went into the hospital and, you know, went ahead and had basically a planned cesarean even though it was two weeks, you know, before the scheduled cesarean. Overall, it was not, you know, not the best experience for me. Obviously, it wasn't what I hoped, but there were a few things even throughout the process that You know, looking back, had I known more, I would have, you know, hopefully advocated for myself more and done differently. And I guess the other piece of this that I should mention is at this time, the doula who I had hired, her policy was that if you ended up having a scheduled cesarean, she did not come to your birth. Whoa, really? Yes. So, you know, I'm a, as a doula now, um, and I've been a doula for years now, that to me is kind of mind-blowing. Um, At the time, though, yeah, at the time I knew nothing. So I didn't know, like, I just assumed, oh, like, that's what all doulas do. If you have a scheduled cesarean, you don't need somebody, right? (laughs) So basically her policy was she kept your deposit, but you didn't pay your balance, and she just didn't come. So that, you know, in hindsight, that was, I really could have used somebody with me during that experience. You know, besides, obviously, my husband was with me, but I really could have used some other support. So a few things that kind of happened during that birth 
that I think could have been different with a doula or could have been different if I had known better. Um, it was like 3 in the morning. First of all, we probably didn't need to go in at 3 in the morning when my water had broken and I wasn't even really in labor yet. I probably could have slept <laughs> and waited. But we went in and the surgeon who was on call came in to say hello and then the nurse came in and like super apologetic said, I'm really, really sorry. So I knew something bad was coming. But he wants me to place your catheter before you have your spinal. So that was like the first thing that happened. So I just had to have this like really painful experience of having a catheter placed before I had any anesthesia, which now, again, (laughs) right, like now I know, A, that's pretty uncommon. B, I could have just said no, you know, and I didn't even know at the time that I could have just said, no, I don't, you can't do that, you know. Right. That's crazy, too. Like, all of these things, I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? I know. It's it's really <laughs> wild, and it's especially wild to me now, just, like, knowing what I know knowing. and doing all the work yeah. that I do now. It's just, it, it does kind of help me remember, though, like, when I, you know, when we have people coming to this experience for the very first time who haven't spent any time in kind of the world of birth, that this is, you know, it, it's, a, it's real. Like, this, I don't think my story, you know, is out of the ordinary, so... But, yeah, I mean, that specific catheter situation was very uncomfortable. And, again, like, I just wish I had known that I could have just said, no, you know, I don't, I don't consent to that. But, anyway, right. so they did that. And then we um, went in and had the cesarean. And he was born. And they kind of brought him up to my face for a few seconds. And then they said something about his temperature and his breathing and kind of whisked him away to the nursery. So my husband obviously went with him because we had known ahead of time, like if for some reason we were separated, I wanted him to go with the baby. But we didn't even know, you know, we didn't somehow hadn't even been prepared by our doula to talk with the team about like, okay, we're having a planned cesarean, so we can at least talk about things that we would like to happen and not to happen that would make this a better experience. So we didn't know to ask for skin to skin in the OR. We didn't know anything. So they just took him away to the nursery. My husband followed. I stayed, you know, they finished my surgery and they brought me into a recovery room where I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who have had a cesarean can identify or remember, you know, like that I was just shaking uncontrollably and couldn't stop. A lot of it is the anesthesia. And I think it was about three or three and a half hours until my baby was brought into me. So I was kind of just, you know, I was alone in the recovery room. A nurse popped in every so often to check on me and check on my vitals and everything. And I just, I think at one point I called my mom just because I needed to talk to somebody and I needed like, I just was just waiting, you know, couldn't move with waiting. And then while I was on the phone with my mom, my husband and the nurse and, you know, came in wheeling the baby in and they put him in my arms. And I actually did one of my like sharpest memories of the whole time is that the minute they gave him to me, I stopped shaking. So that was kind of a big moment. And I think that another, you know, so another piece of that story, again, is like if I had known what to ask for I and known how to advocate, I could have at least tried to advocate for him to be put on my chest because I, I, I don't, you know, I have looked at my records. I don't think anything was really, really wrong with him. And I think if he had just been given to me, he would have regulated everything. So that was kind of my first birth experience. And I knew basically right after that when I had another baby, I was going to have a VBAC. And it was a rough, you know, rough postpartum experience, rough introduction to parenthood for me. 
kind of skipping forward, we that was that was in New Jersey, so that wasn't even where we live now. But by the time I was pregnant with my second, we were living in New York State, and he was due to be born around the time my first was going to be like 25 months old, so like two years after my first was born. And we were pretty new to where we were living, so even when we started trying to get pregnant, I basically started doing research, like where can I find support to have a VBAC? So that's when I found ICANN, and I'm, I know you all have talked about ICANN before, but if this is new to any of your listeners, it's International Cesarean Awareness Network. So I found an ICANN chapter, and I started attending meetings, you know, once I got pregnant, and started asking around about supportive providers in the area, and kind of just really tapping into the birth community where I lived at the time. And really throughout that whole pregnancy, ICANN was a huge, huge resource to me. So ultimately, we settled on, and I say settled because I really do think we still ended up having to settle. We settled on a, you know, somewhat VBAC supportive provider. You know, we had kind of thought a little bit about home birth, but ultimately we lived out in the country and we had to drive about 45 minutes to get to any hospital. So we ultimately kind of both felt more comfortable at a hospital for that experience personally for us. So we settled on a provider and, you know, kind of went through the pregnancy. And when I went into labor, basically I showed up at the hospital and I'd been, you know, in what I thought was more active labor for a long time. And we showed up at the hospital and I was only like a centimeter and a half dilated. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So we were at the hospital and, um, you know, we drove like 50, 55 minutes to get there, my husband and I left the toddler at home with his mom who had come to stay with us. And we're at the hospital and they tell us, you know, that I'm only a centimeter and a half dilated. And at that point, we're kind of thinking like, well, what do we do? Like, do we drive all the way back home? Uh, I don't really want to do that. Um, We're already here. So we decided at first, we're like, well, we're just going to stay and I'm just going to labor here. It is what it is. We've got our doula with us. Like, we can do this. However, when I told my OB that I wanted to decline the continuous monitoring. I had done a lot of research and I really just wanted intermittent monitoring and I was even okay with like more frequent intermittent fetal monitoring. I just didn't want to be attached to it, you know, nonstop. So I told her that and that she did not like that at all. And so she essentially, and this is, this is the part that like kind of really, really shocked us and still shocked us to this day. She basically told us we had two choices. She said, you can stay here, but you have to be continuously monitored, or you can go back home. And we were pretty shocked, actually, because when we really thought about it, we realized she was basically giving us, like, she was so scared to not have us continuously monitored, and she gave us what I would guess she perceived as a much less safe choice of just going home and having no monitoring at all. So that was just kind of like a moment, right? Like that was a moment to me where I was like, whoa, she is way more worried about like her liability than my safety because she just didn't want it on her, right? Yeah, so that was kind of a big one. Um, But actually, ultimately, she left the room for a minute and we talked and ultimately my husband just said no. He just said, we're going to stay, but we're not going to be continuously monitored. Good for him. Good for him. I know. (laughs) Yeah, he totally did. And again, like it was based on research that we had done. And it's not like we were saying never monitor us. We just, and especially being that I was only a centimeter and a half, like we just didn't feel like it was necessary. And I just really, really wanted to be able to move. And 
I knew that would really improve my chances of being able to have a vaginal birth, just being able to move and stay mobile. So, so ultimately we did that and kind of, you know, just labored and labored and had my doula there with us. The nurse kind of left us alone because I think at this point nobody really wanted to have much to do with us. And at one point we're walking the halls and the nurse asked if we could go back to the room and do a cervical exam and I asked her, and this was actually a moment that I was, I felt like I did advocate for myself. I said to her, I asked her why she wanted to do one and she said that it would just tell us where we were at and I said, okay, but will we change anything we're doing based on that information? And she couldn't really tell me anything we would change. So I, you know, declined that exam because I just knew, like, it was just going to be uncomfortable for me. So we just kept laboring and, you know, I, I should have said, like, I think we showed up at the hospital at 5.30 p.m. when I was one and a half centimeters. And I think by about 7 in the morning, I was ready to push. So no meds or anything. I just kind of labored through the whole night. You know, my husband and doula took turns sleeping and kind of hopping out of bed when I would have a contraction and need support or hopping out of their chairs, I should say. And then I was ready to push, and it was a shift change. So the other OB came in for that phase, and I could tell, I just could tell, like, they weren't happy with us just because we had declined what they wanted us to do. And I, I still don't know why to this day, but this OB, like, severely rushed me through my pushing phase. So I really only pushed for like maybe 15 minutes and like this was my first vaginal birth so that's pretty fast and she just you know during every contraction was like very intensely kind of on me to push hard and fast so you know he was born and I broke like every blood vessel in my face was broken like I just looked oh my gosh yeah just because of how fast and hard she was encouraging me to push and I don't know why I mean I don't think that there was anything concerning about his heart tones. My doula had previously been an L&D nurse and hadn't seen anything on the monitor. Like, I don't know why she did it. Yeah, so I, you know, like, <laughs> broke every blood vessel in my face. Was It was crazy. I think I had a second-degree tear. But, you know, all that said, I was really, really happy to have had a VBAC. And for me, I had hoped to do it unmedicated, and I did, and that, that felt really good too. But for sure, there were still pieces of that experience that were like, could have been better, I guess. So that was my experience with my second. And then for a few years, we thought that that would be it. We would only have two kids. And that's when I really got started with birth work. And I learned so much more about, you know, advocating for yourself during birth. And I, you know, became a doula. And I became an ICANN leader where I lived and all that stuff. And then we moved again to New Hampshire where we live now. And we ultimately decided to have another baby. So my littlest was born two and a half years ago. Yeah, he's two and a half. So when we got pregnant with him, we really started to think about, well, what do, we, what do I want to do this time? You know, obviously I'm going to try to have another VBAC, but I, I still want a different experience. Like, I really want to be in control of this experience. I don't want to have to fight. So I was pretty, at this point, like we've lived here for I think a year or so, so I was pretty familiar with the local birth scene since I've been doing doula work. And my local hospital at the time was and is still, as far as hospitals to give birth in, it's excellent. Um, like really, really good respect for birthing people, really great care. Um, however, at the time, they still didn't officially support VBAC. All the providers, all the doctors, all the midwives, all the nurses really wanted VBAC. It was really like a, an anesthesia issue. Mm. So at the time, they didn't officially support VBAC. However, you know, people would 
go there and VBAC with kind of the support of the providers, even though it wasn't an official policy. So I did meet with you know an OB who is a good friend of mine at this point and just a really, really, really awesome person. So I met with her to talk about the option of birthing there, and that was on my list. And then I also met with a home birth midwife, and I also I live around the corner from the hospital at this point. So having already had a VBAC and living closer to the hospital, like my husband felt more comfortable considering a home birth. So we met with her, and she really put his fears at ease just in terms of like, you know, her, her knowledge and her training and what she knew to look for and when she would suggest a transfer and all that stuff. So we hired her, and that was totally, totally the right decision for us. I always tell people, too, with home birth, like even just the prenatal care was such an amazing thing. Yes. Um, yes. Like I tell people now, like even if you decide, right, like even if you decide to have a home birth and for some reason you risk out or you transfer, like you still got that prenatal care and it was huge. You know, like she would just come to my house for every appointment and we would spend an hour together and so much more than just the quick check, you know, anything, you know, what's on your mind, how are you doing, how is it going. I had a pretty rough pregnancy physically, which wasn't like that with my first two, so just a lot of listening and validation about how I felt pretty crappy about not being able to, you know, run around with my other kids and be what I wanted to be for them, and just so much support. So that was really wonderful, and I had a doula again. A good friend of mine was also my doula, even with a home birth. I totally knew I wanted a doula. And he, I went into labor with him, I think it was like a Thursday night during the night. I knew labor was starting, but I knew it would be a while. Friday morning, I still knew I was in labor, but I knew it was early. So I just, and I was so tired. So I spent a lot of the day resting and sleeping. And my midwife even stopped by in the morning because she was close by just to see me and check on me. And then I think around 5.30 or 6 p.m., I woke up from a nap, and I just knew, like, okay, they're coming every five minutes. This is happening. So I let my uh, midwife know, and I let my doula know, and we kind of started getting everything in gear. And I didn't have them come yet, and I got in the shower around 8, and I got out of the shower and called my midwife again. And I was like, okay, it's picking up. I think you should come. So Everybody came, and at this point, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure my contractions were like three minutes apart or something, or four maybe. But it was so different this time. Like, it was so wonderful to be at home, and having been through labor before, I just felt like I had so many more tools to cope, and I knew a little bit more what to expect. So everyone showed up, and my husband was like in the bathroom, I don't know, figuring out filling the birth tub, which I feel like should have been figured out already. I don't know what was going on. Um, I swear he had done a trial run. I don't know what was happening. I feel like that always happens with home births. But he was doing that, and I, I was, like, downstairs with my doula. And finally I was like, I just need to be near him. So I was just, like, sitting in the bathroom laboring while he was figuring out the hose hookup. And when he finished that, I said to him, it was, like, 9 o'clock. I was like, I really need you to get the other kids to bed. I just, like, can't focus with them around anymore. I didn't know. Like, I was open to them being around, but... At this point, I was like, I just knew that I needed them to go to bed. So he got them to bed, and then I we filled up the pool, and I got in the pool in our bedroom, and really, I mean, really, I just labored for, like, the, he was born at 1230 in the morning, so, you know, three and a half hours in the room laboring with some support from my doula and midwives, support from my husband. I was mostly in the pool the whole time, so I'm sure they were busy, like, keeping it warm for me. There was, like, one point during my labor when things spaced out a little bit, and I could tell my midwife was 
like a little concerned that maybe I wasn't going to have the energy I needed. She was, you know, started talking about potentially like some fluids, and I just knew that I was fine. I just knew that I needed that, you know, contractions had backed off because I was going to be ready to push soon, and I just needed a little break, and I was really relishing the rest, the ability to rest. So I declined that. I said, I, I really am fine. Like, I'll keep drinking this labor aid that I made, and I'll stay nourished, but I'm okay. Like, I just need to rest. And then I, I don't even remember. I think I pushed for maybe like an hour or something like that, maybe less, maybe 40 minutes. And he was born in the water, and we were all so happy. And our, our younger son had said he wanted to be woken up to meet the baby when the baby was born, and he was like almost four at the time. So my husband went and grabbed him and brought him in, but he was totally out of it. So he like looked at the baby and then just went back to bed. <laughs> and then... The, the only real twist was that after a little while, the midwife was noticing that, like, he, he was breathing a little oddly, and then she checked his blood sugar for some reason, maybe because of that, and it was a little bit lower than she would like to see, and it wasn't really coming up. So we actually ultimately ended up taking him into the hospital in the middle of the night, and it wasn't like a rush. Like, we were even deliberating, should we go, should we not? Well, let's just get him looked at. It's better safe than sorry. So I called a friend who I kind of had waiting to come and stay with the kids. And, of course, she, she doesn't have any kids of her own, so I was like, I'm really sorry about, like, the bloody pool of water here and stuff. I, just, I didn't have time to clean it up. Um, <laughs> but she was totally cool. She was great. So she stayed with our kids, and we all went into the hospital. And we just, you know, we just went in through the ER because it was the middle of the night, and we ended up getting just the greatest pediatrician who was, like, he just wanted, you know, we checked the blood sugar of the baby a couple times and it was, it came back up and he wasn't, his his oxygen levels were fine. So he was basically just like, everything looks good. You guys, I know you don't want to be here. So he looks good. Just go home. <laughs> so we, you know, we probably didn't have to have taken him, but I appreciated, honestly, based on what she knew of us, like I appreciated the care that my midwife took and I appreciated the suggestion, and, you know, in the end, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Obviously, it would have been nicer to just stay in bed, but we got home at, like, 6.30 in the morning. Our kids were, of course, awake, and that was that was it. So, you know, that experience for me was totally, like, finally, and, and I say this with really, really, really deep gratitude because not everybody gets this. It was, like, finally the birth that I really hoped that I would have. And I just feel so grateful for it, especially because I really do know that for so many people, they never have that. And it was a really just positive experience for all of us. And we all love to tell him, even my older kids now, like that he was born in a pool in our bedroom. So that is hey. so awesome. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> I love it. That's um, Julie's. Were you were you're born in the bedroom? Did you have your... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All three of mine were born at the foot. All three of my V backs. Um, oh, it was really fun! Awesome. It was super awesome. It was funny because I relate to a lot of your a lot of your home birth story. I remember uh, when it was finally time for my fourth baby to come. You know, because she played tricks on us for about a month. Oh um, wow! That's you know, fun. labor start every night and then fizzle out. But I remember for my fourth, because I had had two water births, and I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to try having the baby on land this time. But, like, let's get the tub just in case. And, uh, you know, I just want to, like, leave my options open. But I think, you know, I've done it twice with the water, and I think I just want something different this time. Well, let me tell you what, about four in the morning, 
I finally woke my husband up and called my birth team because I was convinced it was actually really labor this time. Yeah. And the first, like, contraction I had to breathe through, I, like, looked at my husband and I'm like, I need my water. I need my water. <laughs> and, and so he's like, okay. So he, like, blows out the birth pool and, like, attaches the hose and I yell at him. And the next contraction, okay, like, what, four minutes, five minutes later, Where's my water? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, it's been five minutes. And I'm like, I know, but, like, I really need the water right now. It's <laughs> so then, funny. Like, that's, that was your coping tool. Yeah. You know, it, it, I just, oh, it's so nice and so relaxing. Interesting. Um, I love your midwife. I don't even know her, but I love her. It was funny because I was on Facebook today, and... I was scrolling through, and I like hardly ever get to just scroll through my feed anymore. But I saw a post from a local hospital that said, midwife or OB, which did you prefer to deliver your baby? And oh, man, some of those comments. Guys, oh, I people, bet. people can get ugly, but like people just don't understand. Like one of the women commented and said something like, oh, well, real babies are born with qualified medical professionals. I would never go to a midwife. And another person said, well, I couldn't have a home birth because I would have died or my baby would have died if I would have been mm -hmm. a home birth. Or, you know, I have to have birth at a hospital so I can't use a midwife. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because, like, people just don't understand. Like, midwives work in the hospital, too, first mm -hmm. of all. You know, midwives, you can have a midwife at a hospital. And then if anything happened to where you needed assistance from a, a trained surgeon, which is what OBGYNs are, then yeah. they would send you immediately, if necessary, to the OBGYN. And they're there on site at the hospital, so it's not like yeah. it would be much difference time-wise. But another thing is... Something that really kind of like gets my gets my like troll motor going, if you want to like call it trolling on Facebook, <laughs> is when people say, "Oh, I would have died if I would have given birth at home. I would have died because I had complications, or because I had a heart defect, or because my baby was X Y Z." And I would have said, "Well, you know, a skilled and qualified home birth midwife." would have transferred your care. Like, you would not right, have... They wouldn't have just watched this happen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what do you think they do? Or, like, you know, somebody commented and said, oh, I want a care provider who is trained to deliver babies. And I'm like, what do you think a midwife is? Like, do you think, I think like, yeah. voodoo, incense-waving, hippie person? Like, no. I think, I mean, I like, there's some, but... <laughs> I know. I think when you get, like, really deeply entrenched in, like, birth work, you forget that there is such a misconception among mm -hmm. a lot of people about, like, what midwifery sure. actually is. Yeah. I would also say, like, for sure some of, and I'm sure some of those hospital situations were situations where if they were happening at home, you would need a transfer. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of situations where people... And not always, but where people think the hospital saved them are like often situations where the hospital ended up saving them because of something they caused in the first place. Yes! Like yes. with just too much intervention or something. And of course not always, but sometimes I think that, I mean, I've seen it. It definitely yeah. happens, unfortunately. Yeah. So I bit my tongue, but I did comment, um, I did one comment about how <laughs> most of the births here in the United States are, are at hospitals, 98.5% mm -hmm. 
as of last year, are in hospitals, and the United States has the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world, and there's something to be said about that. But not that hospitals are bad, and mm -hmm. so many women give birth at hospitals all the time, and there are no issues, and so I don't want to sound that I am anti-hospital birth, because I am definitely not. You need to birth where you feel safe, and most women are safe at a hospital. That's just what it is. Uh, right. But home birth is a safe option, and actually there's four criteria in order to be met for home birth to be a safe option. And first of all is you have to have a low-risk pregnancy. If you right. are just, you know, healthy pregnancy, healthy mom, healthy baby, you know, uh, that's the first requirement. Second requirement is that you have a provider that is trained and has lots of experience in home birth. Mm -hmm. and they know what to watch for. And then the third thing is that the home birth is chosen, planned, and prepared for. So safety for home birth doesn't always apply when it's like spontaneous labor or, or you haven't prepared right. for it and educated for it. And then the fourth thing is that a backup transfer plan is in place in case of emergency. And one thing I love about Taylor's midwife is that she wasn't afraid to transfer the baby. Yeah. You ask your home birth midwives what their transfer rate is, and a high, higher transfer rate is not a bad thing. You don't want a midwife that never transfers. You want a midwife that's aware of when something might be teetering on the edge of urgent and is not afraid to transfer you. So I really, really love that Taylor's midwife did that, and it turned out her baby was fine. But you never know when there might be something that needs true medical attention. So, yeah. perfect. And that's, yeah, and I always encourage people to, like, if, if you have the option where you live to, to interview multiple midwives, because all home birth midwives practice differently, and my husband, for sure, really needed somebody who erred on the side of caution more often than not, so she really was a perfect fit for us. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the, one, the last thing we wanted to talk about was ICANN. Yeah. We love ICANN. ICANN is amazing. We talk about ICANN in our VBAT preparation classes, um, and it's funny because when ICANN, not funny, it's freaking awesome. When mm -hmm. ICANN was founded in 1988, you mm -hmm. see this, like, huge rise in VBAC rates and a huge decrease in the overall cesarean rates in the United States until the 90s when everybody went and screwed things up. But that's right. not ICANN's fault. That's <laughs> not No, that's ICANN's <laughs> If you want to know more about that rant, send me a message or take our classes because we go over <laughs> all of it. ICANN is amazing. They have chapters all over the country. Every single state has a chapter and some states multiple chapters. So go to their Taylor, website. yours the NHICAN chapter? Is that your chapter? Um, I don't think so. So actually when I moved here four years ago, there actually were no chapters in the whole state. So I opened the first one, and mine is ICANN of Seacoast, New Hampshire. Cool. Okay. Um, so and then online, I, I was looking, and it said NH. So I was like, oh, I That might be a different know. one because since I started mine, I think two more in other parts of the I state have started. Yeah, yeah so okay. mine's ICANN yeah. of the Seacoast, New Hampshire. That's us. Yeah, so I think that was started almost, yeah, almost four years ago now. I started it pretty shortly after we moved here because I was like, I got here and I just so saw awesome. that there were none. So I knew it had to happen. Yeah. Um, and actually the other cool piece is since then, the hospital that I was talking about that's local, 
now does have a VBAC supportive policy. So things are looking up. And we really worked hard with my favorite OB over there. It was really mostly her, but to make it happen. So that's been really awesome. That's well, that's fantastic. incredible. Yeah, if yes. you're not in New Hampshire, go to ICANN's website to find your own local chapter. Um, yeah. ICANN-online.org. Click the button, find a local chapter, and enter your information, and it will pull up the nearest yeah. ICANN chapter to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, Yay. thank you. It was so great to hear your story today. Thank you. It was great talking with you both. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to thevbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.